0: Hey guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. We had a great weekend. This weekend was the opening of the Arizona Coosdeer Hunts here, and a bunch of really big bucks um, were harvested. And uh, we're going to be talking today with my hunting partner and business partner, uh, co-owner of Colburn & Scott Outfitters, uh, co-owner of several of our real estate businesses, Dar Colburn and I just wanted to encourage you guys to take a kid hunting and fishing. Uh, Dar was able to take his 10-year-old Paul as well as his 13-year-old Parker on a backpack coos deer hunt, and um, this interview was actually uh, taken prior to the hunt, so you're gonna get to hear about the prep on that hunt, Um, and we're gonna have Dar and uh, maybe his boys on here uh, on a later episode talking about uh, the deer that, that Paul was able to harvest. Um, Paul shot a deer that is a four by five mainframe, um, just an unbelievable deer that's gonna score probably over 120 inches. And um, to hear the story from Dar, it's amazing. He's so proud and I'm so proud of, of them as a family uh, to hear how the experience went down, but take a kid hunting and fishing. Um, and, uh, it's something that, uh, if, if you take them early, uh, they will enjoy it for their whole lives. So, uh, give them that gift. Um, guys, I want to thank you guys, uh, the listeners, um, for all the support. Um, I get uh, daily emails and text messages, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, uh, from you guys, the listeners. And, uh, Honestly, it really makes my day. I just appreciate the, the loyal support that you guys have for this podcast. And honestly, without you guys, uh, this podcast would uh, would not be here. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, if, if you would like to send me a comment or a question, uh, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow along our adventures. Um, on Instagram, at J Scott Outdoors and at Dar colburn you can follow along on our website, uh, jscottoutdoors.com, YouTube channel J Scott Outdoors, um, Facebook J Scott Outdoors. And uh, guys, again, thanks for all your support. Thanks for all the <clears throat> great comments. Um, and uh reviews on itunes if you haven't had a chance to do that i would appreciate that go on itunes and give us a five-star rating and and leave some positive comments that helps our placement with with uh, itunes and um guys we are uh, on our way to a million downloads here and um it's mind mind mind-blowing i want to thank our sponsors uh gohunt.com and deadeye outfitters um with, without those uh, two sponsors um, you know th- this podcast has to have a way to pay for itself and th- uh, those two sponsors have stepped up and, and uh, been loyal to the podcast as well and I want to thank them for that uh, guys I want to tell you about uh, GoHunt.com's October Hunt giveaway um, for insider members so if you gi- join up for gohunt.com you automatically have a chance to win their monthly giveaways and they've given away some incredible gear uh, kuyu sleeping bags and watches and and um, uh, all all sorts of of great gear and they've given away some unbelievable hunts doll sheep hunt uh, mule deer hunts antelope hunts elk hunts Uh, in this month october uh they are giving away a uh, two spots to two insiders all you have to do is be an insider member to win to have a chance to win Uh, two spots on a coos deer hunt in january with dar colburn and myself Uh, lorenzo the president of gohunt.com is also going on the hunt and uh, two insider members are going to get to join us this is a rut hunt for coos deer Uh, We are going to leave on the 7th of January, and we are going to hunt the 8th through the 14th. We'll hunt seven full days, Um, and uh, uh, we've had some great success down there since the late 90s. Uh, Darn, I have not missed a year down there, and uh, we've got some great ranches, and um, it's going to be a great time. Uh, It's going to be right at the beginning of the rut, and um, as each day goes by, the rut will get better and um, all you have to do is be a member. And um, what you need to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash insider, click on the blue join now button. And when you click on that join now button, not only will you be um, a a member of of an unbelievable resource uh, to, to look at all your hunts and plan all your hunts and strategize. Uh, for all and you know all the planning and strategizing for all your hunts across the west but um you're going to be exposed to being able to win some some unbelievable uh hunts and gear every month and um if you click on the blue join now button uh gohunt.com is going to send you a $50 kuyu gift card um obviously if you've been a fan of the podcast you've heard uh, the president uh And owner of uh, founder of Kuyu, Jason Hairston, on the podcast, and his associate Brendan Burns. And uh, Kuyu is uh, the the gear that Dara and I use. we've been using it since the inception, and uh, we believe in Kuyu. Where you're going to get a $50 Kuyu gift card from GoHunt.com just for signing up. And if you sign up, you can go to the website, GoHunt.com's website, and review the rules. I believe they've got a deadline for the last day of October, but go to GoHunt.com and check out the rules for the, the, uh, the giveaway, the October giveaway, and that coos deer hunt uh, with Dar Colburn and I. And um, guys, it's going to be a great opportunity for two people, two, two members to win this hunt. It's got a $5,500 value per hunter plus GoHunt.com is giving a thousand dollar travel voucher so sixty five hundred dollar value per person and um, we're going to have a great time so hopefully uh hopefully some of the j scott outdoors uh, podcast uh, listeners um will uh will be the winners i wanted to make a note here i forgot to tell you when you click on the blue join now button you use the j scott promo code. There'll be a spot for you to put in J. Scott, and that's what will get you the $50 Kuyu gift card. Make sure to use the J. Scott offer or J. Scott promo code. Um, Guys, I want to thank GoHunt.com. They've been just an unbelievable supporter of this podcast, and I also want to make a note. Um, They are paying full price, uh, 100% full price for kuster hunt uh you know we we do limited hunts in mexico and uh lorenzo you know this isn't a buddy deal this is you know they're paying for the hunt so it's going to be an awesome opportunity uh, deadeye outfitters is doing their annual breast cancer awareness t-shirt design again and deadeye outfitters has been a loyal sponsor of this podcast and they're going to be donating 10 percent of all proceeds to breast cancer research. Uh, the men's and women's t-shirts are available on their website at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Be sure to use the promo code JSCOTT to save 10% on all your purchases. Pick up some Deadeye Outfitters and wear your obsession. Guys, I get feedback uh, all the time from uh, JSCOTT Outdoors podcast listeners that have gone to the Deadeye Outfitters Uh, website and ordered um, all sorts of gear and t-shirts and hats and hoodies and um, Chris Lacey is the designer over there and he's a world-renowned wildlife artist and does a phenomenal job with with the uh, designs Um, go check them out at deadeyeoutfitters.com and guys I want to thank these sponsors Um, without these sponsors you know this. This podcast has to weigh, ha, has to have a way to, of of paying for itself, and you know keeping it free for you guys. Uh, you know these sponsors. Let's support these sponsors that support this podcast, um, guys. Like I said, I want to thank you for uh, listening. I want to thank you for all your loyal support and telling your friends about us, and thank you for sending me all of the messages. Um, Let's get right to the episode with Dar Colburn. I also want to make a note here. Uh, Dar Colburn and I share a real estate business together. I got my real estate license in 1997 and I believe Dar uh, started in 2000, maybe 2001. And um, we've been working together ever since. And uh, we focus on all sorts of real estate across the Metro Phoenix area. So if you're looking to buy or sell a home or or buy or sell a piece of land, um, looking for rental houses, my dad is a property manager. Um, If you've got a rental house that you need a property manager, uh, each one of us has uh, our own little niche within our business, and um, we have a full-service team. Uh, My nephew, Jay Pyburn, has recently joined the the team here uh, about six months ago, and Um, If you need anything in regards to real estate, uh, uh, send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can uh, call me on my office line at 602-996-9910, and uh, Dar and I would love to speak with you. So uh, let's get right to the episode here with Dar Colburn. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today, I've got my hunting partner, my real estate partner, my uh, co-owner of the guiding and outfitting Colburn and Scott Outfitters. Uh, I've got Dar Colburn with us today. Dar, how you doing? I'm great, Jay. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, sounds like you've got a uh, busy schedule ahead of you with uh, some hunts that the boys have drawn, uh, that they've drawn and uh, looks like uh, you've got a, a great 2015 season in front of you. For sure. I'm excited
1: about uh, about the fall for sure.
0: So um your wife had max bonus points and um she put in for uh 13b one choice rifle and your 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 thoughts were that if she were fortunate enough to draw the tag that uh Parker uh if he keeps his grades up uh is uh going to get that tag uh tell me a little bit about your thought process in that
1: well, I mean, she had max points and there was uh I believe 9 residents left with max points um for deer in Arizona. So statistically she was almost guaranteed to draw the tag. So I've kind of been waiting uh the moisture was good this year, so I you know, I went for it. Parker's in 8th grade. Um so I knew once he got into high school taking a, you know an extended period of time off from school is going to get get more challenging. So decided this was the year.
0: Well, I know you and I had, you know, talked about it last year and you felt that it would be better if Parker was one more year mature. Um, he's already harvested, uh, a coos deer, um, with his rifle and he shot a, a, mule deer with his bow and, and tell me about your thoughts in, um, you know, he probably could have drawn the tag last year. Uh, was it more of a moisture condition and, and, and you know quality of conditions this year, or was it more of the fact that you really wanted him to age a little bit more and get a little bit more experience? Uh, he shot his cooster also last year on the December hunt.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit of both. I would say equally. I, I weighed him. I would say equal. Uh, the moisture obviously was good this year, and that that factored in. But uh, last year, you know, he's killed he's killed a a deer every year since he's been old enough to hunt here in Arizona, Uh, two coos deer with with a rifle and a a little mule deer with the bow um, two years ago. So I just felt like the more hunting experience he had, uh, it would be, you know, just a benefit to him um, going on a a premium hunt like that up on the strip.
0: Yeah. You know, um, I really like this rule that the Arizona game and fish has created a number of years ago where, Uh, a parent or guardian, I'm not sure that you can probably fill me in on the technicalities of it, but a parent or grandparent can actually give their tag, um, to, um, their child or grandchild if the kid is, I believe, under 18. And I really like that because, um, I think as you are a big proponent, I think getting kids hunting and fishing is huge, um. Tell me your thoughts about the rule, and tell me your thoughts about kids hunting and fishing.
1: Yeah, I just think uh, if you look at, you know, for instance, some of the juniors' hunts that are available to the kids, the draws are pretty slim. Um, You know, there's a lot of of kids that apply for those hunts. Um, And so I think anything we can do to get our youth involved in hunting, um, allow them to go hunting every year, every couple years, uh, definitely – is going to create more hunters in the future, and it's it's important. If if a kid can't draw a tag, you know, but every five, six, seven years, it's hard to get them enthusiastic about going hunting when they they can't go. So, the the program that our Game and Fish Department has created, you know, allowing a parent or grandparent to sign over a, a tag to a, a youth under the age of eighteen, so seven, 10 to seventeen, basically. Um, in my opinion, it's it's a great great thing.
0: Dar, I know your dad um, took you hunting and fishing as a kid. Um, tell me about a couple of those trips and experiences and, and how that shaped you as, as a hunter. I mean, you, you shot a buffalo when you were very, very young and, and um, were fortunate to go on a bunch of different hunts. Talk to me a little bit about um, some of those experiences.
1: Yeah, I was I was fortunate that my dad exposed me to hunting and fishing um, when I was, was growing up. He was from, my family originally is from Nebraska, the Midwest, so he did a lot of bird hunting, uh, duck and, and pheasant hunting. Uh, when he moved out here, him and my mom moved out here in 1974, I believe. Uh, he had very little big game hunting experience, but there was a, a gentleman in his, his office that uh, was a pretty big hunter, and so my dad applied me for some tags, uh, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, and uh, I was I was pretty fortunate. We drew a an early rifle bull tag. Uh, I believe it was unit 27 when I was 12, and also I drew the House Rock Buffalo tag uh, when I was 12 as well. So I got a couple premium hunts uh, that really planted the seed for me um, when I was was pretty young. And my my dad didn't know much, so he did hire. Uh, A guide for those hunts and it just uh it planted the seed and I went crazy after that learning everything I could about you know hunting and hunting in Arizona and and kind of went crazy after that
0: yeah I think going crazy is probably an understatement um I want to talk to you about uh your your preparation for the boys hunts up obviously parker's got the 13b tag and paul has a, a, a kind of a general season uh october uh coos deer tag and talk to me about a little bit of the strategy of of each hunt
1: uh well with with paul i'm, I'm really excited he he turned 10 last april so um this will be his first year Actually, he turned ten this past April, so this will be his first year that he can hunt big game. And he has an October whitetail tag. His brother, you know, you remember a couple years ago when he had his first year tag, killed like a 88 inch buck or something like that. And and Paul wants to make sure he shoots one bigger than that. That's, that's <laughs> brotherly rivalry. Yeah, too. his goal. When I, I, I've gone out scouting a couple times and found some, you know, just decent little three-point bucks and I show him to Paul and he's like is it bigger than Parker's first buck so that's his main main concern is to top his brother which is which is great it'll be it'll be you know a challenge but uh I look forward to it
0: so on those October deer hunts dar um I I know you know some of the units have five six seven hundred tags what is your strategy as far as so you're trying to find a buck bigger than 88 inches um, are you guys gonna backpack or, or what are your what are your thoughts on that?
1: We might backpack it. I, I just depends what I see scouting. Um I found some bucks, just nothing nothing super great. Um one buck that I know he would shoot, but it's it's in an area where they'll there'll probably be some people. Um so it just kinda depends what I find between now and the first part of October it how's how's
0: it looking out there
1: uh it's looking good i mean the the feed is really good i think it's going to be a good year
0: awesome and on parker's hunt uh you know having a kid that's in eighth grade having such a premium tag you and i have talked at length about you know it, it should the pressure of that hunt you know wanting to harvest such a big buck um how does all of that play into your mind as far as your your attitude and your your expectations going into the 13b hunt cuz quite honestly i mean he has an opportunity to to shoot a buck that he will never ever beat in his lifetime but uh i think it's important to have the right mindset going in that you know he is a kid and to put a lot of pressure on him what are your thoughts on all that
1: yeah i know you're absolutely right i and and i'm not Surprisingly, I'm not feeling any pressure on this hunt at all. Um, my main focus is to go up there and have a great time. And you know, I haven't been to the strip, so and neither has Parker, obviously. So it's just going to be an unbelievable experience to get to go hunt country up there and you know learn it and you know know we're hunting in places where there's you know giant giant deer. So the opportunity is there, but that's not going to be the focus. Um, I think just having a great time and a great experience looking back, you know, on some of those hunts I went on with my dad when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. Um, I just want to create those memories, you know, for Parker that, that I have, you know, from when my dad took me. So score of a buck isn't, isn't going to be the focal point of that, that hunt. So I'm not, you know, going to put pressure on him. I know he's 13, you know, he might miss. I mean, there's lots of variables. So, we're just going to go have a great time and uh, do everything we can to, you know, try and shoot the biggest buck we can, but certainly that's not going to be the focus.
0: Dar, um, you're, you've been uh, a big part of the um, Arizona Bow Hunters Association. I'm not exactly sure. You've been the past president. I'm not sure what your title is now, but I know you had a big part in the bowhunter happening that just took place in July um, wanted you to speak a little bit about how how it went this year and and the success of, of the turnout and such. Uh, it was
1: good. It was good. We had uh, in the three days we had uh, 900 and I think 50 somewhere in there registered shooters. So it was a, it was a good turnout. Uh, a little more than last year. The the forecast, the weather forecast was calling for rain Saturday. Uh, we actually didn't end up getting rain until Saturday night. So I think the threat of rain, you know, kept some people from coming out. But all in all, it, uh, it was a good turnout and a good
0: shoot. That's awesome. And uh, you've been doing that for several years now, um, and it's back at Mormon Lake. Uh, uh, tell me about uh, having it back at Mormon Lake and and the the positives that you see in that.
1: Uh, Mormon Lake is. It's a great place to act, actually, you know, it's only two and a half hours from, from Phoenix. Um, it's pretty centrally located in the state, close to Flagstaff, Prescott, uh, Camp Verde, Payson. So it's, it's definitely a good area. Um, it traditionally was was held there for, I think it started in the mid-70s and was, was held there. So it's kind of its original home for the bow hunter happening, and uh, it's good to have it
0: have it back there for sure. Dar, what other wildlife um, conservation groups uh, do you serve on? I, be, I believe you're a board member of. of tell me, tell me wh- which other groups you you serve on.
1: Well, I've I've been with the the Bowhunters Association. Um, I was chairman, president on that for two years. Um, I've been active on that board for probably five or six years, and as as a part of that. Um, the Bow Hunters Association is is a member of Arizona Sportsman's for Wildlife Conservation, which is the all the license plates you see in Arizona, the wildlife license plates. Um, basically, I became a board member on that through the uh, Arizona Bow Hunters Association. So I've been doing that for almost two years. And uh, for 2016, I just got voted on to the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society board. So, I'll, awesome, starting to do that as well.
0: Awesome. That's great stuff. Um, Dar, tell me about your 2015 elk season. Uh, I know I'm going to miss you up in Unit 9, um, and tell me why you're not guiding for elk uh, at this moment.
1: Well, I, it kind of started last year. was the first year since, I think, 2001 that I didn't spend the whole month of September you know, chasing elk. Um, I just decided with my kids, you know, being the ages they are, they have a lot going on with school, um, and extracurricular activities that I didn't want to miss out on being gone, you know, as much. So I, I just felt like I didn't want to show up a few days before elk season, um, and, and guide a hunter. If, if I wanted to guide, I wanted to do it right. Like I've been doing it and elk just was a big time commitment for me, um, so I just decided I was gonna lay off the elk for a few years um, and and go help when I could, uh, friends or you or whoever. Um, so I kind of made that decision last year, and I'm I'm sticking to it this year again.
0: What is it about the 30 day commitment as far as two weeks, at least two weeks scouting, you know, every day before the season, and then hunting the full two weeks with an archery hunter? What is it about that time that you feel is so important? I, I guess as far as from an elk scouting standpoint, why is it important to be out there a couple of weeks before the season starts?
1: Uh, well, I mean, if, if you're looking for the, the type of bulls that our hunters, you know, usually are looking for or that we, we want to harvest, it's just a, an important time. That first part of September, those those bulls start to bugle. They're moving around. So it's, it's critical in my eyes and your eyes as well. Cause you, you obviously take the same amount of time. Um, it's just an important time to be in the field prior to the hunt when things are moving around and starting to bugle, starting to, you know, those bulls are starting to get with the cows. Um, you know, it's, it's the most important time before, before the hunt, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to agree with you on that. I, I, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people scout so much over the summer and then they end up you know working and then showing up on Thursday before the hunt starts and you know, in my opinion, I think the the 10 or 14 days immediately prior to the season season starting is absolutely critical in trying to establish and find where that big bull that you're looking for is uh, because as you know they they move a lot from the time uh, from velvet time in the summer to rut time, so um, totally understand, I'm going to miss you, hopefully you can come up in glass uh, a few days here and there. Um, I, I want to talk to you about our real estate, uh, you and I have been uh, working in real estate uh, for a long time, uh, I got my real estate license in, I believe 1997, and I believe you got yours in 2002, but I'll let you correct me. Um <laughs> 2000, I think. 2000, okay. And, um, you know, starting out, um, when when you when you hopped on, uh, we immediately, I, I had been buying and selling and, and working the land uh, market in, in the Metro Phoenix area, and you and I kind of took two areas, and you worked your area and I worked mine, and then you helped me, I helped you, and, and we We had a successful real estate company uh, buying and selling and selling to builders and developers and and what have you, and uh, we pretty much just focused on land uh, till about 2008 when the market crashed, and since then, you have branched out and uh, really became a full-service real estate agent, uh, sold a bunch of houses, and And, um, I wanted to ask you about the real estate market and how things are going for you and how the home sales are going for you.
1: our market's good here in in the Metro Phoenix area. Um, you know, prices aren't back to where, where they were in the heyday, but that's, you know, that's probably a good thing. Um, but our market seems to be getting better. There's lots of new construction going on, which is, uh, which is always a good sign.
0: Um, Tell me about some of the price ranges of some of the closings that you've had. And if you had a bread and butter, is it is it working on a specific area or is it more working with referrals and, and people that you know and, and uh, uh, getting referrals from people that you know, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when we when we started or when we were out there, we kind of focused on a specific couple areas for the land stuff. Um, and I, I don't necessarily focus on... Specific areas with homes, more, you know, family and friend referrals. It's certainly, uh, it's nice having a, a common bond of uh, someone that shares something common like hunting or fishing when you're, you know, in the car with them, looking at properties and stuff. It's, it's just, I get a lot of uh, enjoyment out of it, you know, having conversations about hunting and fishing when I'm helping someone uh, find a property that that they're looking for. It, it just makes it. A lot less like work, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know you've um, you've you've helped a lot of hunters and fishermen that uh, that we know through our network and such. And uh, I just want to tell people out there that if you're looking to buy or sell a home or piece of land or any type of real estate, um, you know we we offer a full service. Uh, we are a full service real estate company. Um, we even my dad does property management. He's been in real estate for over thirty years, and uh, we 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 own some in, investment uh, income producing properties. Dar and I own some land together, and uh, we we've bought and sold a lot of properties. Um, Dar, what is the market? Um, what is the hottest market out there as far as price range right now?
1: Well, it it, it definitely seems like you know anything. Under the three hundred thousand dollar price range here in the valley is there's a lot of competition for that um, in terms of good properties buying or selling. Um, I, I did have a client that weren't actually an escrow on a house, but he was looking you know the at two hundred and under and he wanted to be more in the one fifty to one sixty price range, and that was a bit of a challenge uh, just based on the area he wanted to be in. Um, any any house that we found that was was decent was certainly uh, there was a lot of activity on it, so we had to be pretty aggressive in uh, in our offers, you know, on just in that price range. I think. It, it, it,
0: so so were the houses? There were double and triple and quadruple offers type of thing, and and it was very hard and to, to get your offer in. Is that what? Yeah, you're Yeah, I mean,
1: just very competitive. So anything that came on the market that was priced right and and in good condition was had multiple offers on it.
0: That's awesome. Well, um, I'm excited, uh, that you've been doing well, uh, selling houses. And, um, I, I wanted to, uh, kind of switch a little bit, switch gears here and talk to you about, uh, some of the new game and fish proposals. Um, you had recently, uh, done a little write-up for the Arizona Desert Christian Archers, um, and I thought I would read it here and then get your comments, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, Arizona Game and Fish Department proposed rulemaking changes. There are a couple of changes the Arizona Game and Fish Department is proposing that sportsmen need to be aware of. These changes have big impacts on residents and non-residents. If these rules pass, they will go into effect January 1, 2016. R- let's see, R-12-4-114, the proposed changes to establish that the department shall not issue more than 50% of the hunt permit tags available to non-residents through the initial bonus point pass of the computer draw to increase opportunity for non-residents with less than maximum or lower bonus points. To break this down, I will use Unit 9 Archery Hunt as an example. This hunt has 100 tags and up to 10% or 10 tags are available to non-residents. Also, 20% of those tags for each hunt number go to people who have the most points. So normally, non-residents have more points than residents for this hunt. So 10 non-resident tags are issued in the bonus point pass. So essentially, the 10% non-resident cap is reached before the random part of the draw where your first and second choices are looked at. What this means is that on most of the high-demand trophy hunts for deer, elk, antelope, the non-resident 10% cap is reached before the random part of the draw, and if you're a non-resident and do not have the highest number of bonus points, you have no chance, zero chance at all, of drawing a tag. Under the proposed change, only 5 tags, 50% of the tags, available to non-residents will go in the bonus point pass, and 15 tags... 15 percent will go to residents with the most points. The other tags available to non-residents will be issued in random part of the draw but there is no guarantee that they will go to non-residents. This actually helps non-residents who have few bonus points giving them statistical chance to draw every year but reduces the chances by half of the non-residents who have enough points to draw in the bonus point pass. This change also will help residents chances to draw in my opinion so in your opinion people that don't have max points that are non-residents will actually have a 5 percent chance in the random draw. Is that how I read this star
1: well I don't know not 5 percent chance but they're basically they're setting aside 5 percent up to 5 percent of the tags for that hunt number so for for the unit 9 archery hunt that would be five tags, because there's a hundred tags on that hunt. Five tags used to be issued in the max point pool. They're they're taking those tags out and putting them in the random part of the draw, so that so that essentially everybody has a chance. Every well, and, and every every resident has a chance every year. But what it, what was happening is the the non-residents who didn't have max or just under max points had no statistical chance to draw the premium hunts. So they basically the game and fish is trying to make it statistically possible for any non-resident to draw a premium tag or have a chance to draw a premium tag, which, which in turn, hopefully they're hoping that they will get more applications because.
0: And from, from my perspective, if if i was a non-resident with tons of points obviously i would be disappointed in this right but as soon as they draw their tag they go back into the pool with everybody else that's a non-resident that has less than max and they actually have a chance to draw the tag the very next year right from from an you know a resident looking in on this proposal i think it's great for non-residents uh, because it will allow them to to have a statistical chance, although it's a small chance. Yep. Um, I see it as a as a good proposal, good change. It,
1: it is a good change if if you're not one of the people that's been applying for you know twenty or thirty years in Arizona and you've you know you've paid paid your money every year and you know you're sitting at the top of the list. Uh,
0: but I mean, you still they those people with high points still have. Uh, they will still get some of the max point tags, correct?
1: They, they absolutely will, but what it's going to do, in, in, and this is my opinion, but what it's going to do is, let's say if it if it takes 18 points, it's been taking 17, 18 points to draw the Unit 9 Archery Bull Tag, let's say, and they're giving 10 tags a year to non-residents with the most points. Now all of a sudden they're giving, and, and let's just say there's 100 people with, you know, that many points, non-residents with that many points, 10 of those a year are getting out, taken out of the pool because they're drawing now. Now, now only five. So what it's going to do, I think is going to, you know, create a little bit of point creep where now it's going to start taking more points to be guaranteed to draw those tags. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I I think
1: there's pluses and minuses to, you know, to, to both sides. Um, all in all, I think it's it's probably good because it gives anyone the opportunity to draw the tag, yep. whether you have one point or no points. And if we're, you know, we're trying to get get people to hunt, um, if they if they don't have a statistical chance to draw the tag, then they're not going to even apply.
0: Yeah, that that's a good point. Um, the next proposed rule change is probably a little bit more controversial. It's R12-4-118. This proposed change deals with tag surrender. Under this change, you will be able to turn your tag in up to the day before the hunt and receive your bonus points back plus, plus the one you would have received that year for that species. In order to be able to surrender your tag, you will have to sign up and pay a yearly membership fee, which is unknown at this time. You will have to sign up for the membership and pay the fee prior to application period deadline for that species you also will only be able to turn your tag in one time before you will be forced to use your points for that species so if you turn your tag in once for a species for that next time you draw a tag for that species you will not be able to turn your tag in and your points for that species will be reset so from what you're saying, if I had max points for deer, and I, I I signed up for the membership, and I drew the tag, but something happened in my work schedule or what have you, and I couldn't hunt, as long as I surrendered the tag uh, before the, the season starts, I would actually get my points back. I would. Do I lose my money for the tag fee?
1: Yeah, you do lose your money for the tag fee.
0: Okay, so whatever the tag fee costs, I lose that, but I get to keep my points, which means I can apply next year and, and with my same points plus the point that I would have gained for that year, right? Correct. But the next year, if I draw again, I've already used up my one-time uh, tag surrender.
1: Correct. So, okay. so they put that in there so that you can't just keep drawing it until you want to go hunt.
0: So in other words, you could go scout for a big giant buck. If you don't find them, you give your tag back. And you draw the next year, you scout for a big buck, you don't find them, you give your tag back. They're trying to eliminate that. Yes, yes. My question is, I know this has been controversial, and I, I know we don't know what the membership fee, but it seems like a very reasonable uh, rule change to me, I mean, on, on the surface of it.
1: Definitely. I think it's a good change. Um, obviously the
0: membership fee is a concern to people, um, depending. What do you have any idea what it, what, you know, is it a $10 or a hundred dollars? Do we have any idea? We
1: don't really have an idea. I'm sure they'll make it reasonable, but, you know, some of the complaints I've heard is that, you know, you have a family of five or six and everybody's got to pay a $20 membership fee every year. It's just, you know,
0: adding to the cost. Well they don't have to, right? You don't have to join the membership. No, correct. You, they don't have to. They don't have to. Okay. But so and
1: that and that argument goes back to creating different classes of hunters and you know, you got one class that doesn't pay the membership you know, and one class that does. I know it's optional, but you know, one one of the arguments I've heard is that you're creating, you know, different classes. You know what I mean? Um,
0: yes, I, uh, I understand optional,
1: it, even though it is, it is optional, but keep, keep in mind that this is a, this is a money making, a revenue source for the department, this program because, you know, for one, the membership fee that'll generate, generate money. The second thing is basically they're, they're selling the tag once whoever turns it in, then they're going to potentially sell the tag a second time so they're they're generating twice twice the revenue on that one tag
0: plus well membership fees playing the devil's advocate it's it's optional so if people don't want to entertain you know they don't want to take part in it they don't have to take part in it and if they have a problem with it being a money-making quote-unquote scheme they don't have to take part in it one of the things i would say is our game and fish department needs as much money as they can And so if people are willing to do this and pay the membership fee, let those people pay the fee. And the people that don't want to pay the fee, don't pay the fee. But from a hunter and fisherman, I kind of look at it as our game and fish employees, in my mind, are underpaid. They're overworked. And, you know, I think they do a pretty darn good job. Uh, Yes, I do critique them at times. Um, but overall I think they do a dang good job. And, you know, the the, the reality is it takes money to make all this stuff work. And I, I'm curious what your thoughts are, Doug. Yeah,
1: no, I feel the same way. I think, I think being able to surrender your tag is a good thing. Um, I have heard people complain about up to the day before, you know, maybe they need to make it 20 days or 30 days out or, you know, tweak that a little bit so that it gives – people the opportunity, you know, to get whoever's going to receive the tag that was turned in, you know, they have a little bit more notice potentially. Um, but I think all in all, it's, it's a good change, especially if, if the membership fee is, you know, reasonable.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think you're ever going to make everybody happy, but I, I, it seems like both, both proposals are reasonable to me. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit now. Dar, actually, let's take a quick break here from our sponsors. Okay. Guys, I want to thank GoHunt.com for their sponsorship of this podcast and their October hunt giveaway to Insider members of the Go Hunt Insider. The the, the hunt giveaway for October is two deer spots. Two insiders are going to win win a spot each on a rut hunt in sonora mexico with dar colburn and myself for coos deer and we're going to go down on january 7th we're going to hunt the 8th through the 14th seven full days during the rut in sonora mexico all you have to do is be an insider member to have a chance to win go to the gohunt.com and check out all of the rules I believe you have till the last day of October. They're going to draw the name of the winners on November 1st. Uh, click the j- blue join now button if you haven't already become an insider member and use the J. Scott promo code and they will send you a $50 Kuyu gift card. Guys, let's go on a hunt in Sonora, Mexico together. I hope uh, both of the the uh, winners are from the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I hope they're part of the, our listeners group. So I uh, hope, you, hope you guys can join us in Mexico. Go to GoHunt.com for all the details on the hunt. Dar, I know you've been um, a big proponent of a .257 Weatherby. Uh, I know you and I both shoot those guns. Uh, but I know you've been tinkering and playing around with um, some several new calibers, and you've really gotten into reloading and um, I'm curious uh, what you're messing with now and why, and what you're seeing as the benefits of it.
1: Well, I, the first thing is the 257 Weatherby. You and I've been shooting those for I don't know 15 years, and it's a it's a great caliber. We've killed a lot of Kuzger with the, those guns. Um, with kids, having kids, uh, you know, that's the, the 257s is a magnum caliber. Ammo can be expensive. It's hard to get. Um, I started messing around with, with some smaller calibers that the boys could shoot and um, kind of stumbled upon the, the 6.5 Creedmoor a couple of years ago. And uh, I've been messing with that quite a bit over the last uh, year
0: and a half or so. What are you seeing as the benefits of the Creedmoor or the 6.5 over the two hundred fifty seven?
1: Uh, a few things it's the recoil is similar to like a 243 so you know with kids and stuff it's it's just a fun gun to shoot there's very little recoil uh, it's it's an easy gun to reload for it you know my loads are shooting uh, about 2900 feet a second with 130 grain nozzle or acubon bullet uh, shooting about 43 grains of powder where whereas the 257 shoots uh like a 115-grain bullet around the 3,400 feet a second with about 70 grains of powder. So, you know, you're you're shooting a little bit slower but uh, a heavier bullet and a lot less powder to, to get there.
0: So what scope are you using for that gun?
1: Uh, we, we've actually got a couple of the, the 6.5 Creedmoors. One's a Weatherby uh, Series 2 that uh, we put an aftermarket stock on trigger did some upgrades on it and uh so we got that gun and it, it has a vortex uh scope on it i believe it's the the viper 6 to 24 something like that and then is that the gun parker shoots yes that's that's okay. parker's gun and then i had a, a tika action that i sent to sent to a guy and uh he put a custom barrel on it and a mcmillan stock and it's more of a, a custom rifle, and that one's getting a uh, – I actually just ordered a, a scope from our buddy Cody at the outdoors and the, uh, the Z5 3.5 to 18 with the Outdoorsman's turret on there.
0: Awesome. When is that going to be available?
1: Uh, as soon as Cody gets it in, hopefully in about a week.
0: Awesome. I can't wait to see that. I've been hearing so much about that Z5. Um, I'm sure you're excited to get it out and try it
1: yeah and, and the reason I, I wanted to get that scope was it it just it gathers light very good um it's nice bright scope and that that ballistic turret it's really easy with the with the kids hunting with the yardages marked on the turret they can just they can turn it themselves to the yardage if I range it for them One of the challenges I had on on Parker's hunt last year was. You know, I would range a buck and then I had to look at the chart and figure out the drop and then turn it, turn the scope for him because it wasn't a set yardage number on the scope. It's just minute of angle numbers on the scope, if that makes sense. So sure. the buck would, would move or something and I'd have to rearrange it and I was having to do all this work for him. And every time i do it, he would have to move the gun or pick his head up out of the gun and just that ballistic... Uh, turret the Outdoorsons has seems like it'll be fairly simple um, where I can tell him the range and he can just turn it to to the yardage and, and shoot.
0: So the question is is he going to use your gun on the 13B hunt or is he going to use his gun?
1: Probably my gun because it'll have the better scope and uh, it's, a, it's a lot lighter of a gun to carry around. And what about Paul? Will he
0: use your gun you
1: think? Yeah he probably will use mine as well. So uh, are are there some left-handed 257s for sale? Well, I'm not left-handed on in the rifle, just with the. Oh, that's right. But that's yes, right. I actually did. I had two. If you remember, I had two 257 Weatherbees that were pretty much identical, set up with the same scopes when we were going to Mexico, um, and I did sell one of them uh, just because I haven't even shot them in a couple years, so I figured I didn't need two.
0: So you're going to use them to poke the fire with now.
1: Well, I got rid of one of
0: them. The other ones are waiting for when when I get to hunt again. I got you. So if you're going to Mexico tomorrow to hunt coos deer, and let's say your, your 6.5 is ready to roll with the scope and the Z5 scope and everything, and you got to grab the gun, and the, there's 120-inch bucks staying there, which one are you grabbing?
1: How far is it? <laughs>
0: good question.
1: No, I mean, you know, they're both they're both really good. Like I said, we've killed a lot of stuff uh with that 257 Weatherby and um you know, our the scopes we have on there have the Sarovsky the the TDS system on there. If you remember the bars, um the only thing I don't like about that setup is that when you start getting out there to the farther yardages on those bars, you have You know, you might have one bar that's at around 400 yards, and your next bar down might be 550. So you've got, you know... There's a big difference there. There's a big gap there, and when you start... The 257 shoots pretty flat, but when you start getting out there, you know, that's a big gap in the yardage, where this this new system with the turrets, you can dial it to the yardage and shoot.
0: I seem to remember that mule deer buck in 2005 out there at about... What was it, 500 yards or something? And yeah, I seem to remember that thing dropping like a rock. So that didn't bother you too bad. No, it didn't bother me at all. I think on that setup, our bottom bar is what 790. That sounds that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've now, shot
1: that 257 at seven eight hundred yards on on steel targets, you know, and it it shoots great. The thing is, it if it gets a little bit windy, that that bullet being 115 grains. Um, starts to blow around a little bit more than the the heavier 130 grain bullets
0: so you think 15 more grains with a little bit of wind you're going to have more stability with the 6.5 yes and
1: the the 6.5 has a huge bullet selection there's so many bullets available for that gun um, you can shoot up to like 140 grain bullet and every manufacturer makes tons of you know different bullets for that that caliber Whereas the 257 Weatherby, it's, there's only really a handful, two or three different bullets that I like um, for that caliber. So it's, you know, you're, it's just that I, I really like that Creedmoor because you can go shoot 30, 40 rounds out of it and it doesn't beat you up at all. It's very inexpensive to shoot. Um, no recoil. It shoots pretty flat. It's just, it's, very, it's a very accurate caliber. So I know, I just, I've really enjoyed learning learning about the, this new caliber and, and uh, messing around with it.
0: So when are you going to build me one? Anytime, you say the word. Show me the money? Mm-hmm. Show me the money. <laughs> we got to start hunting again. I know, we've been guiding so much, which we love, but um, we keep talking about how we got to get back after those coos deer, and, Definitely. you know, for for many, many years, you and I would have, you know, two or three tags in our pocket, and um, sometimes we'd never even shoot a buck, but uh, we did have a lot of great times um, hunting coos deer down in Mexico together, so I look forward to doing that again. Um, I wanted to finish today talking about um, big binos. And you and I both have the 32 power uh, Koa Highlanders, the fluorite lenses. Um, I wanted to ask you what your opinion is after, what have we been using those, three, four, five years, something, it's, it seems like time keeps marching on, but uh, for quite a while, what are your thoughts on the big binos?
1: They're, they're great. They're great. We use them, both of us use them quite a bit. You know, I, I don't think they're, if I was going to have one pair of binos, that, that would not be the pair. But I think all in all, they're they're definitely a useful tool in the arsenal. Um, and, you know, found a lot of good animals with the, the big binos. What are some of the drawbacks that you see with them? Just, the. I mean, the main drawback is the, the weight in the size you know carrying them around in a backpack if you're getting going anywhere um you know that's a ways from a road you know they do take up a lot of room and I I think they're like 12 pounds and the tripod's another 10 or 12 pounds so you know you got over 20 pounds of of weight just in your binos and your tripod that's what
0: your boys are for though right well they're getting there (laughs) (laughs) they're getting there yeah Good. But, I mean, well, buddy, it's go ahead. What do
1: you think? You,
0: you've, I mean, I, uh, I think they're an unbelievable tool because you can, you know, you can basically sit and look at stuff at, you know, two, three miles away, and people go, oh, no way. Well, look through them. I mean, we've picked out coos deer bucks, uh, elk, mule deer, whatever, and any time that you can sit comfortably um, and have a good field of view, and have that crisp clarity that those koas have. Um, you know, I I think as a coos deer hunter and as a sheep hunter, you know, they're they're awesome, you know, on those raffle sheep tags that we've we been able to guide. Um, you know, we can both set off in our rangers going in different directions and, you know, sit down for 30 minutes with the koas, drive over to, uh, you know, in a spot 30 minutes away, sit down with the koas and just, I mean, hammer um with them and and um you know the the comfort people say well i'll look through a spotting scope way out there well yes a spotting scope's great and you need a spotting scope still to evaluate something even down to the detail but being able to just power glass and and really comb the hillsides is it's pretty hard to beat
1: yeah i would agree and it it, it's they're an amazing tool i mean we we've spotted stuff so far off that you don't even know where it is it's so far out there that you don't even have an idea of where it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been on ranches in Mexico and sometimes sitting next to each other and one of us will say, I got a deer and, you know, you'll say, that's not even on our ranch. You You know, you're looking four miles out there, quit looking out there. But um, we've definitely found some good animals with them. It's definitely something that you know, I started out with the Doctors, and I really liked the Doctors. Um, one of the things that I didn't like about the Doctors is the, the concave lens, and it seemed like the edge-to-edge clarity wasn't as good. They're great right in the center. Uh, I am really curious to see how the new Doctors are. Uh, I believe they've got the HD lenses. I was using the 40 power, super wide angle, the fixed lens. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely think for people that hunt out west, um, the, 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 big binos definitely have their place. Yeah, definitely. And
1: I have had a few questions about those lately, about the different eyepieces on the Koas. Um, I have personally tried the, the 50, the 50 power, uh, lenses in them one time and, and didn't really care for them because of the, just the narrow field of view. Um, did, have you tried the 50s and
0: or the uh, 25 power? I believe they make a wide angle, correct? They make a 21 power, um, which I have not tried, um, but I hear good things. And you and I, I believe on that hillside looking for coos deer up, in, um, up, up there above Phoenix, um, we had the 50s and I just did not like the 50s at all. I, I, I felt like... The, the the beautiful thing about those 32 power coas is you can sit comfortably and just scan the hillsides i felt like the 50 power took the total scanning ability away and you might as well use your you know 70 power spotting scope rather than a 50 power lens it was to me looked like looking through coke bottles i don't exactly remember the the difference in field of view but it was a a noticeable noticeable difference yeah
1: it, i i would agree with you it was very noticeable and it was very it seemed very narrow after looking and using the 32 power lenses that that they come with
0: and my idea is you know the 21 lenses uh would give you a little bit wider field of view but it you have such a nice field of view with the 32 power i feel like that extra 11, you know 10 11 12 power whatever it is 11 power um I, I like i think the 32 is a perfect fit there for 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 the range that I, and you know you can glass stuff for 500 yards away and you can glass stuff four miles away it's just the closer that stuff gets the slower you have to go and and you know sure i would love those coas if they were a straight eyepiece i probably would like them even more um the angled eyepiece i've gotten used to but you know uh, i i would be lying if i said i didn't want a straight straight eyepiece yeah i'm with you well buddy it's been great talking to you um today um i know you're getting ready to to do some archery deer hunting and and getting prepared for that and um that's always a challenge because of the heat aspect of it uh you hunt some of the units around town and it's just a, a little bit of a challenge but i hope you Hope you find some bucks. Uh, I'm going to be returning here from Colorado soon, and um, look forward to jumping right into elk season and and uh, you know the, some of those sheep hunts that we have, and and uh, uh, it's going to be great to see the boys, see Paul get his first deer, and see Parker get a nice big muley. And um, so I uh, want to wish you the best uh, until I see you with the real estate, and keep going. I know you've had. A bunch of closings as of late and been real busy with real estate so keep that up and I look forward to a great 2015.
1: For sure uh, looking forward to uh, having lunch when you get back in town and uh, I'm ready to go hunting it's it's that time of year.
0: Yeah I'm getting the, you know I, I've about caught every fish in Colorado and um, about fished out and ready to start hunting and um, I always say you know fishing is just the thing to do to, to pass the time until hunting season starts. So I'm ready to get it going. So thanks for being on. And, um, until I see you next time, buddy, God bless. Right. Okay. You too. Thanks, Jay. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card when signing up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.